Hello and welcome back to the EV Life podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Maharaj, and I'm joined by Allison Bench, our producer. Hi, Crystal. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on as always. We have another exciting episode coming up today. Yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, today's guest and what we're going to be hearing about. Yeah, so we're talking to David Lazell. So David is a professor at the University of Calgary, but he's also the director of a program there called CSER, and it stands for the Canadian Energy Systems Analysis Research. He also helped found a not-for-profit Canadian organization that's working towards identifying net zero energy solutions, and that's called Transition Accelerator. And he talks a little bit about both of those initiatives in our interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just so interesting to hear kind of what the um, experts and scientists at the University of Calgary are kind of up to. It's just, you know, we talk to so many people on this podcast, and there's just so many things happening out there like there are lots of avenues that you can really explore when it comes to EVs Mm -hmm. and yeah we we talk about um something again like I mentioned we didn't we haven't really covered this before but David in his research they're looking at various types of alternative fuel to gasoline right so net zero energy solutions and so he shares a bit about EVs and how those batteries work. And then he also talks about hydrogen fuel cell. And then he gets into why one might be better for a particular type of vehicle versus the other. Um, And I've never had it explained that way because I've often wondered, well, why electric batteries? Why not hydrogen fuel cells or vice versa? And Mm -hmm. he really explains why hydrogen fuel cells works well for some vehicles and not in others. Yeah. And, you know, on this podcast, we have talked so much about the kind of traditional style plug-in electric vehicle. And so it's it's so interesting to learn a little bit more about the hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. Um, so, yeah, I think we should just jump into that interview and hear what there is to learn about those. Yeah, let's go. Here's uh, my interview with David Lazell. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining me today on the EV Life podcast. My pleasure. Well, uh, we're here to talk about, you know, our podcast is all about EVs, but you do some interesting work when it comes to EVs, and it's a little bit different than anyone we've spoken to so far. So are you able to tell our audience a little bit about the research that you do um, at the University of Calgary? Certainly. Well, I moved to the University of Calgary about 15 years ago uh, to lead a interdisciplinary research institute called ICE. That means the Institute for Sustainable Energy, Environment, and Economy. And what it did is bring together researchers from numerous departments and faculties across campus to identify economically viable, environmentally friendly solutions for Alberta's energy production and use. And about 10 years ago, in 2013, I left ICE. Mm-hmm. And I set up my own research group at the University of Calgary called CSER, Canadian Energy Systems Analysis Research. We love acronyms. Yeah, I was just going to say very uh, creative acronyms. <laughs> so, now, it actually, you know, CSER had the same overall objective as IC, but it was focused on using detailed techno-economic analyses and modeling tools to identify transition pathways from the energy systems that we have today to a net zero emission energy systems that, and and we really were looking for net zero emission energy systems that would work for all parts of Canada, including Alberta. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and so the work we did in, in Caesar, and this is, you know, 2013 to more or less 2019, was quite exciting in, in, the, in that it showed that the transition from traditional fossil carbon-based energy carriers, we're thinking now gasoline, diesel fuel, jet fuel, natural gas, right. to zero emission energy carriers, so that's like electricity or hydrogen or biofuels, was not the nightmare scenario for Alberta and for Canada that it's often described as. Okay, I'm interested. <laughs> it was quite the opposite. Alberta and Canada, in, on any in international basis in, in, you know, across North America, are poised to be major winners in, in such a transition. So this was kind of the work in the late, by 2018, 2019, it was very clear that there was this transition pathway that was really actually quite promising for Alberta and for Canada and for many many or most of the provinces. But I was coming close to retiring from the university and I really wanted to see this Caesar work not only continue but to expand across Canada. And this opinion was shared by the organizations that were funding Caesar. And so I worked with some like-minded colleagues in Ontario and, and Quebec and we launched what's called a transition accelerator. Okay. And it's really about how do we accelerate the transition to a net zero emission energy system and economy? Uh, and we launched that nonprofit in 2019 and, uh, and started to attract funding for it and, and to start a bunch of projects, many of them looking at electrification of our transportation system, uh, electrification of space heating and, and industrial processes, uh, but also the role that where electrification doesn't work very well, uh, we looked at what are the other alternatives, whether it's biofuels or, or hydrogen. And so a, a lot of the work that we've been doing, and, and one of the big opportunities, I think, in Western Canada, is, is in the space of how do you make zero emission fuels using our resources that we have in Western Canada? Right. Uh, and, and actually, where do they fit best within within the um within the energy system of the future and uh and what are how does alberta and the rest of canada fit competitively with other countries in being able to produce and use these uh these new zero emission energy carriers that are climate friendly so just uh, to clarify for our listeners, so Caesar was a part of a research organization that was a part of the UFC, the University of Calgary. Transition Accelerator is not. That's its own standalone not-for-profit? That's correct, yes. Okay. And you mentioned the funding partners. Are you able to share who those funding partners are? Well, we started with, we have a number of different funding partners now. We started with philanthropic organizations like the Ivy Foundation, the McConnell Foundation, there was a number of other private foundations across Canada that were very interested in finding climate change solutions uh, and uh, in finding ones that actually uh, would be good for the economy, that would create the jobs, that, and they became um, very interested in the work that we and a, a few others were doing uh, because we were actually interested in finding transition pathways that would actually allow us to achieve our climate change goals and get to zero emission energy carriers, but at the same time actually position Canada in a very positive economic position and in a way that 
uh, again, would create jobs and, and hope for the future. So, and, and so that where our funders now actually extend to many governments, uh, provincial and federal government organizations, but also we're often hired by um, industry associations that are interested in in looking at net zero solutions for those for their particular industries and how they're going to address uh, the transition to low carbon economy in the future. Right. And I understand that you, you know, you focus a lot on hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles, which are called FCEVs. <laughs> so, yeah, fuel you know, cell electric vehicles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on our podcast, you know, we talk primarily about the battery electric vehicles. So can you just yes. explain a little bit about what the difference between those two are? Well, both of them are electric vehicles, which means they use electric motors to turn the wheels. Uh, the it's a lot of it's where the electricity comes from. Uh, in a battery electric vehicle, typically it comes from grid power, where you plug your car in or, and charge the batteries, and then the batteries will take you a distance. And uh, when the battery starts getting drained, or when you're parked overnight, you can plug it in again, and and it'll be ready for you the next morning. Um, in a fuel cell electric vehicle, the it's also you also have typically have batteries, a bank of batteries, maybe not as many batteries as an electric vehicle, but your power generation is, is the, the electricity is generated on board from a chemical energy carrier. So one can use hydrogen, for example, and put the hydrogen through a fuel cell. The fuel cell then converts the chemical energy in the hydrogen into electrical energy, and the electrical energy can use to either drive the wheels to, directly, so you can actually send the electrical energy directly to the motors and, and, and drive the wheels, or you can send the electrical energy to the battery and store uh, some of the electricity in the batteries for when it could be needed. Maybe you have to climb a hill later and you want to store a little bit extra electricity in the battery in order to uh, get you up the next hill and, and still have lots of energy left. So it's a, it's, there's a whole energy management system on board a fuel cell electric vehicle. Right. You know, there's pros and cons to these vehicles. The, the benefit of a battery electric vehicle is that the electricity is quite low cost compared to any alternative. It's, it's certainly lower cost of the electricity, even uh, you know, from grid electricity, or even if you actually had a recharging station where you're, you're paying for all the, the uh, recharger, that, that electricity is typically lower cost than hydrogen, uh, for example, as a fuel to generate the electricity. So that's the that's the benefit for smaller vehicles, lighter weight vehicles, or vehicles that are going to travel relatively short distances. Uh, for example, delivery vehicles. So you could be talking for, uh, mail trucks or uh, vehicles delivering um, uh, packages from Amazon or whatever. Uh, they probably makes the most sense for them to be battery electric. But as when you get to heavier vehicles and especially long distance transport. Uh, where you really want a, a vehicle to be driving, a truck to be driving, say, 700, 800,000 kilometers a day, where the, um, you want really rapid refueling. The problem with battery electric vehicles is they take, tend to take longer to recharge than, uh, than an, uh, putting a chemical on board a, a vehicle and, and moving forward. And also the weight of the vehicles is a problem. If you're wanting to drive very long distances, one needs to have so much the weight of the batteries would be uh, would really start to compromise the amount of freight that one could carry in a large truck, for example. So it's an issue about um, speed of refueling and charging, 
the range that you can take the vehicle before you have to go back in and refuel or recharge, and uh, and the overall um, um, in the you know the, the weight of the vehicles, all of those tend to point to big heavy duty vehicles. For example, that involved in long distance transport across you know, Canada, uh, or moving intercity movement of large amounts of freight then those tend to be uh, battery electric vehicles don't work very well. And, and even when you look forward, you, you have a hard time seeing in a forward looking view of, of battery electric vehicles being able to serve that market effectively. And so that's why a lot of the major trucking companies are starting to make hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles, or even there's some country, and especially if you're looking at um, heavy duty trucking, but also uh, trains, for example, or ships, or off-road vehicles that might be, say, mining vehicles, et cetera, those are often looking at hydrogen uh, fuel cell electric as well, or sometimes ammonia fuel cell electric, which is a really interesting uh, uh, technology. It's a company called Emoji that's recently uh, come out with a, a number of very interesting technologies where they actually, the chemical they store on the vehicle is ammonia, which is made from hydrogen. So you make hydrogen, then you make ammonia. You can store ammonia, it's more uh, volumetrically dense. So you, you can store more in a smaller space than you can hydrogen. And, um, and then you convert the ammonia to hydrogen just before, right on board the vehicle. And then the hydrogen goes through what's an alkaline fuel cell, produces the electricity, and that drives the motor. So it actually uses a different storage and, and allows longer vehicles and heavier duty uh, long range. So they're looking at ammonia uh, and emoji and other companies are looking at ammonia for big ships, for trains, for um, uh, heavy duty trucks and off-road vehicles even agricultural vehicles. They've got tractors and that kind of stuff. So you kind of, you explain why, you know, the battery electric um, vehicles don't really work for those long distance transport vehicles. But I know that there have been a few manufacturers that have um, made, you know, hydrogen fuel cell light duty passenger vehicles. Do you think more manufacturers will use that technology or do you think that the battery electric vehicles are just kind of the best option for those light duty passenger vehicles? I think there's an option and a lot of it depends on this convergence of a variety of technologies. For example, we also have happening within uh, the world today is this movement towards AI or sort of a artificial intelligence and the movement towards autonomous vehicles. And there is a, I've been talking about this for the last five to 10 years, the possibility of, of moving towards fleets of vehicles that could actually drive without requiring a driver. Now, when you actually move into that kind of a world where uh, artificial intelligence um, could actually uh, mean that there's a fleet of vehicles that one could assign up and get sort of a... Um, a plan with to give you so many thousands of kilometers a year of personal transport. So when you want to go to shopping or you want to go visit a friend or you want to, you know, go to a theater or something, you would just pull out your phone, a, a vehicle, you would call a vehicle, you would drive up, pick you up, take you to where you want to go, drop you off. You don't have to pay for parking because the vehicle's off uh, to the next customer. Wouldn't that be lovely? 
<laughs> it would be very nice. I've been dreaming about this and actually studied this for a number of years. Oh, and, nice. um, you know, but we don't have, we're, the technology is not quite there yet. But in that kind of a technology, one small light, light duty vehicle uh, could replace eight or more uh, personally owned vehicles. But the vehicles that replacing it, instead of driving, say, 15,000 kilometers a year, it might drive 150 or 200,000 kilometers a year. Mm-hmm. And these vehicles will be used in use, you know, um, maybe in use 16 hours a day or more. And and the desire there, and of course, and the economics of this is quite is quite compelling if you actually have vehicles that could do that. Uh, that, but you'd want those vehicles on the road all the time. So having bringing them back in to recharge during the middle of the day uh, would be loss of income. Right. And and so so there's that's one example. That's more extreme example. More uh, closer to uh, where we are today is is many of the hydrogen fuel cell for light duty vehicles are really being assigned to, for example, taxi service. Okay, where yeah. you have a fleet of taxis that, uh, you know, they're still human driven, but, you know, you want the, especially if, you know, airport taxis, that sort of thing, where you've, the taxis are out, they need to pick you from the airport, take you to where you drop, dropping people off at the airport, picking people up from the airport. Those fleets, because they're all coming back to an airport, they could have a fueling station for hydrogen. And those, that could be some early markets for hydrogen vehicles. I would say, even though you know some of my colleagues would disagree with me, but I find it difficult. I have an electric car, a battery electric. I don't see any sense in me having a fuel cell electric car, even though I work on fuel cell vehicles. Right. Uh, just because you know it's very convenient to just charge it overnight. I, you know, typically most of us, if you have a personally owned vehicle, we use it less than five percent of the time. Ninety-five percent of the time, it's parked. Right. And when it's parked, depending on where you are, you know, you can recharge it. And uh, it's very, and if you need it, you need to recharge, there's recharging stations around and there are more of them going in that, uh, that makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, not all light duty vehicles are used, are personally owned. Some of them have very heavy workloads. So I guess it just... It kind of depends on the use for the vehicle, right? And and if it can go a little bit longer, if, I guess the need for having to recharge quickly. Exactly. And it's, it's you know, on a fast charger, one can charge an electric vehicle quite quickly. But it's still, if you're running a trucking company and, you know, we're talking uh, batteries on an electric truck, a heavy-duty electric truck that could be, five times more than say on a Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So charging that amount, that amount of batteries, that's what you're going to need in order to take this vehicle any significant distance. I'm sure you can go to even super fast chargers. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I think we learned so much from you about hydrogen fuel cell um, electric vehicles. And again, I, this is the first time that we're talking about this topic on the podcast. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit about your research. My pleasure. And before I let you go, one last question that we like to ask a lot of our guests who come on is when you think of the future of transportation, is there one thing in particular that you're really excited to see? I, so I guess the, the answer to that, I'm, I'm very excited about the possibility of of maintaining the transportation. The transportation is incredible 
opportunity in like our generation has and you know Canada has at this time that you know many previous generations before us never had the benefits of you know, the ease of transportation to be able to move uh, around our communities and around the world in ways I really want to maintain that ability to move around but we have to be able to find a way of doing it without damaging our climate and our environment in, in such ways so I'm very interested in that I'm also quite excited about the integration of this transition of transportation to a greener, lower carbon transportation, but also making uh, the movement towards uh, autonomous uh, transport and uh, artificial intelligence and that transition. And I think there's a really interesting synergy between electrification with different sources of ways of making electricity and the movement to artificial intelligence and, and more automation of that transportation that uh, that I think is going to could actually improve the quality of life of Canadians as well as the environment. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of EV Life. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David Lazell. If you'd like to join the conversation or chime in on your own thoughts around EVs and net zero energy solutions, you can find Allison and myself in the EV Life group on the AMA mobile app. Download the app and join our group and we look forward to talking to you. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. We'll talk to you next week.